Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's May 2020, and we're still under stay-at-home orders, so we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, David, writes... If you're not all tired of suspense by now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode, Short Order. It's one of my favorite suspense episodes, and one I think you'll also enjoy. One of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows, suspense premiered on CBS in 1942 and continued to thrill audiences until its final broadcast in 1962. The show quickly gained a reputation for its mastery of the genre, attracting some of the golden age of radio's greatest talents including the stars of today's episode, Joseph Kearns, Gerald Moore, and Conrad Binion. Before Joseph Kearns gained television stardom as Mr. Wilson on Dennis the Menace, he was one of radio's most ubiquitous character actors. He was a frequent guest on Suspense and, during the early years of the series, played the mysterious announcer known as The Man in Black. Gerald Moore is best remembered as Raymond Chandler's iconic private eye in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, but also briefly starred as another literary detective, Archie Goodwin, in The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe. Conrad Binion began his career as a child actor with regular roles in Carlton E. Morse's One Man's Family and The Life of Riley, before landing the part of Butch in the popular comedy drama the mayor of the town, opposite radio legends Lionel Barrymore and Agnes Moorhead. Short Order was written by John F. Souter. According to Donald E. Westlake in the introduction to Murder Schemes, an anthology of classic detective stories, Souter began his writing career when he heard an episode of Suspense and thought he could do better. His first attempt at doing better was the play you are about to hear. Souter wrote at least one other suspense play, Fragile Contents Death before turning his talent to prose writing. Since then, his award-winning crime and detective stories have been published in countless anthologies and mystery magazines, as well as the 1996 collection, Old Land, Dark Land, Strange Land, stories by John F. Souter. And now, let's listen to Short Order from Suspense. First broadcast, August 16th, 1945. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Now, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents... Suspense! Tonight, Roma Wines bring you short order... A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. 
Roma Wines, those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness in entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Short Order, a remarkable tale of Suspense. Thank you very much. Come back. Ah. Bailey's Diner. Well, this is Mr. Bailey speaking. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, You're just a little late on that. Well, I hired a fry cook day before yesterday. I'm sorry I forgot to tell the newspaper to stop running that ad until this morning. I got a good man. No, no, one man's all I need. Just got a small place here. That's all right. Goodbye. <laughs> you see that, Johnson? You better keep on your toes. Oh, Plenty Mr. of people Bailey. after your job. You're not careful, you know. Something might... Well? What's the matter? Don't you want to take my money? Huh? Oh, sure. Yes. Yes, of course, sir. 75 out of one. Five, one. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Johnson. Johnson, good Lord, did you see that man's face? Yeah, you're telling me. It's enough to haunt your dreams. Kind of made you nervous, didn't he, Mr. Bailey? Well, after all, it's kind of a shock to look up and see you. Yeah, I, I noticed you hung kind of close to that gun you keep under the gas register. Oh, did I? Automatic reflex, I guess. Oh, the poor guy, I ought to be ashamed. Probably got that way in an explosion accident or something, you know. Yeah, it looks like a plastic surgery job. Only some doctor like Frankenstein must have done the surgery. Yeah. Well, here you are. Enjoy this. Oh, thank you. Come back. Yeah. Huh. Yes, sir. He liked your cooking, too, Johnson. Two deluxe sandwiches, two coffees. You know, that's not bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seems to me business has been picking up ever since you started working here. Just thought you'd like to know. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you like this work, Johnson? Yeah, it'll do. The hours kind of get me sometimes, and when the rush hour starts in half an hour, I can't pretend I'll be liking it. But it's all right. Sure. Well, someday you'll have a place of your own. Be your own boss. Never get anywhere working for someone else, you know. Well, I'm doing okay now, Mr. Bailey. Yeah. You'll never go hungry for lack of a job. You're too good a cook. But your own business. Now, you take me. I'm doing well, even if I do say so. People come here to eat. All right, I see that they get them. <laughs> Yeah, it makes you feel pretty good having your own place. Makes the saving and scraping seem sort of worthwhile. You seem to get the business. Well, of course, you got a terrific location. Well, this place has a name that means something. At least I think it has. As a matter of fact, there was a man in here trying to buy it just last week. That's so? That's right. Real estate agent. Name of Sloan. Had a customer. Well, who's his customer? Oh, I don't know. But I told him I didn't want to sell. Oh, here, how about opening that refrigerator door for me, will you? Okay. Thanks. No, I'm not going to sell. Couldn't afford to. I'm not in a position to retire. The way things are, it'd be too hard to start up somewhere else. Uh-oh, well, here we go again. Good evening. Evening? Uh, yes, sir. What'll it be? Uh, special, I reckon. Right. Coffee. Oh, good evening, sir. <laughs> Is it still chilly out? Oh, yeah, a little. Thought some of your chili would warm me up. <laughs> get it? <laughs> I get it, yeah. Chili, oh, coming yeah. up. All right. <laughs> Bailey's place. Oh, Virginia, what's the... What? What? 
All the windows? Well, who could possibly... Well, where were you? Well, now, why would anyone want... Oh, no, no, none of those kids would do a thing like that. They're nice kids. Yeah, hoodlums, I guess. Well, I, d I don't know what you can do. Got no witnesses or anything? You sure it was rocks, huh? Well, I guess there's nothing you can do. Well, I, I wish I could too, but I, I gotta stay here. All right, dear, yes, uh, all right, goodbye. Bad news, Mr. Bailey? Darnest thing, of hoodlums or something. They just broke every window in my house. I, I, I don't know what to hey, think Hey, Bailey, this is a new kind of bread you got here? Better than usual. Oh, you like it? Yeah. Well, it costs a little more. Oh, good e Good evening. Hello? Good Lord. Yes. Yes, sir. What'll it be? Hamburger and coffee. Right. How do you have the hamburger? Well done. Cream in the coffee? No. Black. Yeah, right. Hey. Hey, Bailey, come here a minute. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, uh... Pardon me, will you, please? Hey, did you see the face on that fella that came in a minute ago? Yes, I did. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Bad? I'll say. Boy, I can stand a lot of things, but that gets me. Well, I've left half my meal on my plate. I was enjoying myself until that came in and sat over there. Then I didn't want anything more. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, look, don't pay. Don't. No, no, no. It's not your fault. Maybe mine. Gee. How do you suppose he got that way? Oh, a burn, perhaps, or maybe some other kind of accident. I, I, I wouldn't know. Oh, boy, that's the worst I ever saw. It's too bad, whatever happened. Sure. Well, yeah, too bad. Yes, it is. Ketchup. Okay, here you are. What? This little paper cup, where's the bottle? Uh, uh sorry, but ketchup's hard to get. That's all we can serve anybody. Oh, profiteers. Will there be anything more? No. Okay, your check and pay at the desk. Thank you. Hey, Mr. Bailey. Yes, Johnson. How's your luck? Well, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Why? The way I figure, somebody around here is sure gonna need plenty of luck. Why? I don't know. I just got a feeling. If that isn't bad luck for somebody sitting back there at the counter, I'll eat this grill here. And I never saw a recipe for making a steel grill tender. We better order some more pork tomorrow, Mr. Bailey. We're running low, are we, Johnson? Yeah, a little. If they keep hitting our barbecues the way they have so far this evening, I'm sure we'll be needing it. All right, I'll make a note of it. Yeah, lucky we got any unspoiled meat left after that guy was in here twice yesterday. I thought the milk had sour. Bingo. Just like that when he looked at it. Yeah, but it didn't. Ah, Johnson, you shouldn't talk like that. He can't help it. You know he can't. We should feel sorry for him, not joke about it like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. You gotta have sympathy for a guy like that. Just the same, I hate to look at it. Uh, I guess we'll have to look at it some more. I think he's coming up to the door now. Uh... Uh, good evening. Hello? Yes, sir. Uh, what'll it be? Hamburger and coffee. Make the coffee black. Uh, right. Make that hamburger well done. Okay. Oh, good evening. Evening. Yes, sir. What for you? Why, uh, I'll have, uh... Holy... How's that? Huh? Nothing. Nothing at all. I 
In fact, I, I, I don't think I want anything. I just remembered uh, an appointment. Uh, just forget it. Oh, what do you know? Uh, your hamburger, mister, and your coffee. Ketchup, please. Okay. Still no bottle? No bottle. Sorry. Here. You go buy an extra bottle. Put it back on the shelf just for me. You gonna eat here some more? Yeah. I like this place. Go on, take that and see that you get some good ketchup, too. Well, it ain't that, mister. It ain't the money. You can't buy the stuff when they don't stock it. Well, you better ask Mr. Bailey. Uh, uh, Mr. Bailey! Oh, yes, Johnson? Oh, you tell him. I just gave your man some money to buy a bottle of ketchup. But he doesn't want to take it. Well, you see, sir, it's not that we can't afford to buy ketchup. No, indeed, we want to please the customer. Something a lot of people seem to have forgotten how to do nowadays, but <laughs> ketchup's very hard to get just now, and we have to ask our customers to bear with us. <laughs> you, uh, you keep your money. I like plenty of ketchup. Nothing like ketchup, I always say. Well, there ought to be enough in that paper cup. Won't uh, that do you? Well, not quite. Any chance of a refill? I'm afraid that's all we can allow. Gentleman says he's going to eat here regular. What? I said that... Oh, just a moment. Good evening. Hello there. Could I do something for you? Well, I sort of thought I... I... Oh, no. No, thanks. No, no. Well, we hadn't finished our discussion. Yeah. As I was saying, Mr. Bailey, it it looks like we got ourselves a regular customer. Three evenings now that he's been eating here, Johnson, and I wish you'd take a look at the figures. Take last night. Ordinarily, there'd be ten to twenty dollars worth of business just between six to six thirty alone. From six to ten, how much? One dollar and thirty-five cents. Yeah, I know. Some of them won't even order. Some of them take a few bites and quit. At least it's not the food. We can be thankful for that. Hey, tell me, Johnson, how can you stand it over there in front of him all the time? Oh, mostly I keep looking someplace else. That's why I took down the mirror. For a while, I thought I'd just work along and not look at him. But I couldn't help looking in the mirror every now and then. So I think maybe the customers could stand it better without the glass, too. If they get to the sitting down stage. Yeah, if they do. Well, anyway, I took it down. It might help if he didn't get up every now and then and walk over to the door to look out. People can't help seeing him then. Yeah. Takes him a long time to eat, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Hey. Say, I've got an idea. Uh, what's that? Look, when he comes in... Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, evening. Hello? Uh, yes, sir? The usual. Right. Oh, uh, by the way, Mr., uh, uh, what, what's your name? Yeah, <clears throat> well, uh, as I was saying, neighbor, we, uh, we make a practice here for our special customers, not just anybody, mind you, but for our special customers of, uh, of sending meals out. Uh, now, I was thinking since you've become one of our regular customers that perhaps you'd appreciate it if I'd send your evening meal over to you every day at your, at your room. <laughs> How does that strike you? No. Thanks. Rather eat here. But uh, we don't have any comfortable chairs. There's no jukebox, no radio. That's okay. Don't miss them anyway. That's not very comfortable. A lot of food odor in the air. You know, sometimes I get sick of it myself. I like it. Not too many people around. Nice place. Suits me. Oh, then you're not interested. That's the idea. 
Hamburger and coffee. How about... Yeah, the ketchup. Here it is. Good. Nothing like ketchup, I always say. By the way... Yeah? Look for me about noon tomorrow. I think I'll be taking lunch with you from now on. Every day. Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you a cast of Hollywood's outstanding radio actors in short order by John F. Souter. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Ted Myers for Roma Wines. Elsa Maxwell is an acknowledged expert on the niceties of dining and entertaining. Recently, she said, Gracious little touches can do so much to make meals more enjoyable. Dine by subdued light. If possible, adjust radio or phonograph for soft, mellow music. And as the crowning touch, serve well-chilled Roma California Sauterne. A most excellent idea from Miss Maxwell. Good Roma Sauterne is pale gold delightful in bouquet, and even more important, exquisite in taste. Created in the Roma tradition, Roma Sauterne is always unvaryingly good. The goodness of luscious grapes selected at peak of flavor richness in sunny California's choicest vineyards, carefully pressed, then unhurriedly guided to perfection by the ancient wine skill of Roma's famed wineries. Good Roma wines are always delicious, yet cost only pennies a glass. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Kearns as Bailey, Conrad Binion as his assistant Johnson, and Gerald Moore as The Stranger in Short Order, a play well calculated to keep you in... Suspense! Johnson, I'm at my wit's end. What are we going to do? I don't know. I, I got no more ideas. Two weeks now, and we're losing money every day. I could cook it so he wouldn't want to eat it. Well, you've tried that, haven't you? Yeah, twice. And it didn't work. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know what we're going to... Oh, just a minute, Johnson. Okay. I'll check on the bunch of All right. Hello, Bailey's place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dear. Huh? Oh, no. Well, you must have misplaced it, honey. Every place? How much was in it? Oh, no. Well, what are we going to do for the rest of the week? But I can't, honey. I really can't. Why, about three bucks or something? I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't... You know, it's, it's just dropped off during the last week. Oh, no, no, he's fine. Now, don't say that, honey. There's nothing the matter with Johnson. And I'm not going to get a new cook. What? Well, I haven't told you, but... Well, why don't you cut down on a few things once in a while? Oh, Johnson, is there any aspirin back there? Yeah, you want the bottle? Yeah, my head's splitting. Uh, here it is. Oh, thanks. Here he is. 
Pete. Now, look, I got an idea. You back me up? Well, what is it? Well, I'll try it, and if you don't like it, don't say nothing. Hello? Like I say, Mr. Bailey, this kid was a pretty game fighter. He didn't have a thing but a hard left. Mind if well, I butt in? I'd like to eat. Uh, you bring your lunch with you? What's that? If you brought your lunch, okay, lay it on the counter and eat it. It'll be funny, Johnson. Bring me the usual. I got other things to do. What other things? I don't see any other customers. You want me to call the boss? Look, mister, I don't like you, see? I'm tired of seeing you around. You go someplace else and eat. We'll see about that. Hey, Bailey. Sir, what can I do for you? This moron you call a cook says he won't serve me. Yes? Well, do something about it. What do you want me to do? Tell him to serve me. Or else have him fired. Well, Johnson's a good cook. Good cooks are scarce nowadays. What is this? Are you standing up for him? I just told you. Good cooks are hard to get. What about customers? Well, it's too bad, but it... I it... see. Well, look, both of you. I came in here to get something to eat. And we're going to get it. If I have to sit here all night. Suit yourself. Yes, Oh, I'll get it. Bailey's place. Yes, yes, dear, I am. Be- what? Wrecked. Where? Were you in it? Were you hurt? Oh, in front of the house. Oh, I don't know what's happening, Virginia. It just seems every time... Well, I, of course, I'm glad you were in the house. When... Well, how bad was it? Almost a complete wreck. Well, could they find out anything from the driver of the other car? Uh, did he have any insurance? No, they never do, do they? Well, no, I'm all right, dear. I'm just almost out of my mind is all. It's getting so I'm afraid to answer the phone. Well, we'll just have to do without a car, that's all. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, dear. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Mr. Bailey. Yes, well, what's the matter, Mr. Bailey? Bad news? Oh, wrecked my car right in front of my own house. Had no insurance, of course. No money to pay for. Oh, that's tough. Yes, sir, that's tough. Him, him. Look at yeah. him. Still sitting there, waiting. I'll have to think of something. So now I can't seem to think at all. Yeah, I'm stopped, too. Boy, you sure get the luck, don't you? Well, what's the matter? I never used to have luck like this. Just, just lately. Just, just since he started coming in here. Yeah, could be. Looked like bad news right from the start to me. There he sits. We could get him out of here once and for all. Hey, wait a minute. You go to the door and see if Ryan's inside. If he is, call him in, will you? All right, I wouldn't. Oh, okay. Right outside. Oh, Ryan, uh, would you come here a minute? Okay. Oh, Mr. Bailey wants to see you. What can I do for you, Mr. Bailey? See that man sitting at the counter, Ryan? Mm -hmm. I want him either arrested or thrown out of here. I don't care which. That's so? Giving you trouble, is he? Hey, you. You talking to me? Nobody else. Come here. What do you want? Ah, uh, Mr. Bailey, what's the charge? Well, he... Uh, um, making a nuisance of himself. What's this? All I do is come in here to eat. And I'm making a nuisance of myself. I don't get it. Look at him, Ryan. Damn. Not very pretty, is he? Officer. The law doesn't give you the right to criticize a man's face. I'm, I'm sorry, mister. Hello, Mr. Bailey. Every day he comes in here, two or three times. I can't get anybody else to come near the place while he's here. He stays and stays. He drives all, most of my business away. I have to eat? Same as anybody else? You do anything bad? 
get tough, insult people, disturb well, the peace? no. All I do is come in and eat. Look, we reserve the right to refuse service to any customer. Well, I don't know now, Mr. Bailey. That's all very well, but technically speaking... What do you mean? He means that even if you don't like it, you can't run me out if I run mine my own business. He means you can't run me out if I ask you to serve me. Well, how, how about that? Well... And if I ask for something to eat and offer you money for it, you've got to sell it to oh, me. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, you'd better. Or I'll have you in court before you know it. Freddy's right about that, Mr. Bailey. Well, all right. Sorry I can't help you, Mr. Bailey. Is there anything else? No, no. I'll be getting on, then. Good night. Well, how about it? All right, all right, all right. Go sit down. Johnson, get him whatever he wants. Okay. I'm I'm not going to answer it. I'm not... Mr. Bailey, the phone, you, you busted I it. don't care. Mr. Bailey, put my gun down. What are you going to do? You see. Now, look here, you. I can be pushed just so far. Now, either you get out of this place and don't come back, or as sure as I'm standing here, I'm going to pull this trigger. Go away. I'm hungry. Did you hear what I said? I hear you. Now, go now, away. Now, look, I'm going to count three. One. Go away. Two. Three. <laughs> Coffee. Black. I, I can't believe it. I shot you point blank. Good Lord! Don't forget the ketchup, you. Well, you got the lay of the place now, Mr. Tanner. You figure on making any changes? No, no, Bailey had a good thing here. That'll leave it just the way it was. We'll hold the trade easier if we do. How did he seem when the deal was closed? I can't say. I let the lawyers handle everything. He took a beating on the deal, or I don't know you. Oh, not too much. I figure he recovered about 70% of his investment. He was lucky I felt sorry for him. You didn't talk to him at all, huh? No, no, no. Didn't even see him. You think he'd know you even without the makeup? Maybe. No use taking any chances, huh? Lucky I changed the bullets in that gun for blanks, or you'd be a dead pigeon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I foresaw that possibility. You might say I saved your life, huh? You might. Don't worry, Johnson. You'll be taken care of. I'm not worrying. I never had reason to yet, have I? No. But just for your information, Johnson, we haven't committed any crime. We didn't take this place away from Bailey by force. We didn't swindle him. I paid money right on the line for it. Just remember that. Oh, I will. Uh, customer. What? Why, it's Mr. Bailey. Oh, oh, come right in. Hello, Johnson. C come on, have a seat. Uh, oh, by the way, you know Mr. Tanner, don't you? Uh, he bought the place. Oh, I never met him. Glad to know you. A pleasure, Mr. Bailey. Well, you know, there's something uh, familiar about you. Maybe I did meet you someplace. I was in once or twice. Look the place over before I had Sloan talk to you. Oh, that's it. Uh -huh. Well, how are you making out? Uh, just getting started. I'm sort of breaking Mr. Tanner in, you might say. Hope you had better luck than I did. I was doing fine until, uh, until this man started coming in. Johnson knows the man, I mean. Bad luck in person. If he ever comes back, you just better close up and go home. That's so. Yes, that's right. He... Well, it's a wonder I have any mind left. Tell the truth, I'm not even sure I do. Uh, Mr. Bailey, would you let me fix you something while you're in here? Huh? Oh, no, thanks. I'm not hungry. Ah, uh, we got some good steak. Oh, no, thanks, Johnson. Not even steak now. Okay, you're the boss. Boss? <laughs> no, not anymore. 
But uh, I would like to step behind the counter one last time just to <laughs> sort of look around. Do you, uh, you mind, Mr. Tanner? Oh, come ahead. Thanks. Well, you haven't uh, changed anything, I see. Not a thing. We intend to operate the same way you did. I think it'll pay. Thanks for the compliment. But I hope you don't draw my luck. Uh, how about some coffee, Mr. Bailey? You look tired. Coffee? Well, that sounds like a good idea. I don't mind if I do. Uh, yours is cream and sugar, right? No, no, thanks. Black this time. Say, this coffee is hot. Yeah, I, I forgot to cut the burner back, and the whole tankful is plenty hot. I have to let it cool. It's too hot for me. Well, just one last look. Things I won't be seeing for a while, I guess. Buns, butter pats, coffee cream. You know, it's funny how you miss things like these. Mustard, ketchup. Ketchup? Where did you get all this ketchup, Johnson? Why, I... I ordered those. Ordered them? Well, so did I, but I never even got a look at a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> you're lucky. All in knowing how, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. I rather like it myself, you know. Nothing like ketchup, I always say. What? What was that? I... I said... I'm rather fond of ketchup. Fond of ketchup? Ketchup? I think I know who you are now, Tanner. I think I know who you are. That, that face. Sure, that face. Makeup, wasn't it? That face. And Johnson had to be in on it with you, too, didn't he? Johnson helped you, didn't he, Tanner? He fixed the gun, didn't he? Well, didn't he, Tanner? Now, Bailey, wait a minute. I can explain. Now, you admit it. I'm telling the truth. Isn't that so, Tanner? Isn't that hey, so? Bailey. Hey, Bailey, stop! Hold him up, Mr. Tanner. I'll get a clock. Police! Riot! Please! Coffee! You always take it black! Mr. Tanner! Good Lord, the coffee! His face! And then what is this? Oh, it's all right, Ryan. There's nothing wrong, Ryan. Nothing really wrong. That's not his real face, Ryan. He likes it that way. Don't let him fool you. What else do you want? Oh, yes, ketchup! Plenty of ketchup! Nothing like ketchup, I always say! Nothing like ketchup! Roma Wines have brought you Short Order with Joseph Kearns, Conrad Binion, and Gerald Moore as stars of tonight's study in Suspense. Suspense is produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. This is Ted Myers with a word for Roma Wines, the sponsor of Suspense. During the warm weather, nothing tastes quite so good as a tall, frosty Roma wine and soda. And as Elsa Maxwell recently remarked, serving Roma wine and soda is smart 1945-style hospitality. You'll find this delightful iced drink as refreshing as it is delicious. Yes, and Roma wine and soda is so easy to prepare. Half-fill tall glasses with Roma, California Burgundy, or Sauterne. Add ice cubes and a bit of sugar. And for a decorative touch, garnish with cherries or fruit. And for a delightful aperitif, sip delicious Roma sweet vermouth, well-chilled. Zestful, full-flavored Roma vermouth, both sweet and dry, is blended and developed with all the traditional winemaking skill of Roma wineries. Is made and bottled in the heart of California's famous vineyards, yet surprisingly low-priced. Try Roma vermouth soon, won't you? Next Thursday, you will hear Dane Clark. 
as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Short Order from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. It was a listener request that came to us from... David. David, right, who... You know, we've done a lot of suspense, and he wanted to know if you're tired of it. And the answer, David, right off the top is no, never. We all love suspense on this show, and everybody does. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Um, (laughs) uh, He says at the end, though, it's one of my favorite suspense episodes. And then says the last line of that sentence. Everything's going right in that email from David until he said, I think you'll also enjoy. Well, now I we're stuck, David. Now either we enjoy it. Or we say you were wrong. So let's find out (laughs) where we're at. Um, And just to give this a little bit of context to just sort of build the suspense. uh, David's uh, one of our best fans of the podcast. He has submitted other episodes that we have not been that fond of. Um, And so there's a lot riding on this, uh, Eric. Oh, good. (laughs) <laughs> quiet please quiet please was the most recent suggestion from david the um, oh yeah yeah somewhat controversial final episode of quiet please yeah so all i'm saying is david is one of our our biggest fans and biggest supporters so just don't let that affect your opinion well this was the best old-time radio show i've ever heard in my life <laughs> uh, you know what i'm going to step aside for a second and throw this out there Initial thoughts, gentlemen, starting with Tim. When you start out in a story, if you like, in this case, I know suspense. I know phenomenally they they just do amazing things. So it starts out with a lot of goodwill. And there are some stories that when they start, they will come right out of the gate paying you back for that investment of your eagerness and your belief. And some will ask you to keep investing. I feel like this was a story that out of the gate asked you, like, stay with us, stay with it keep investing, and it's burning up that goodwill clock. Uh, And so the trick of this one is by the time it gets to the end and it pays off and it twists, how much goodwill has it burned? Uh, And for me, it was close. (laughs) It'd be tough to say. Just the initial and quite long section of this is a story about someone who has been physically scarred, having a tough time getting a meal. That's not quite right. It's about a retail uh, establishment suffering because they don't discriminate against a guy, which is not necessarily great radio drama. But I have so much goodwill, I'm willing to go along with like, yes, spend that goodwill. Keep spending. (laughs) So I'm a little bit on the fence. I'm going to say that I called this exactly, that this episode drove Eric nuts. Tim is on the fence. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I think this is a masterclass in slow burn tension. I was engrossed from the <laughs> get go until the very end. And I think we'll all have turns to <laughs> give our opinions. But I think it's a really idiosyncratic story. And so I get it if it's not your cup of tea or cup of boiling hot black coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I agree with Tim, it does ask you to forgive some plot contrivances, but it's so good at what it does that I wasn't thinking about it till the end, which means the script won. Why don't you and David go do a podcast together? Um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with Tim, and here's the slow burn of the whole thing. You do have goodwill. You have purchased a huge quantity of that with me because you're suspense. The performance and the acting and the production values are, are phenomenal and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and then the, the windows get broken. Ooh, and then the really scary guy who, by the way, a guy that not only is disfigured, horrifyingly apparently, but also comes with his own music sting. Uh, mm -hmm. and oh, I want to talk about that. I think that's a, another piece of really fascinating experimental yeah. radio drama. I don't think so. I think the guy just had a music sting. I don't. <laughs> I think that followed him around. Anyway, so you're at this point where there's a lot of pieces to add up, and what happened to me, Tim? That I see. Slow... I'm cut out of the conversation now. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> The slow, I hear you, Eric. I understand. <laughs> the slow burn of this thing was too slow because I figured it out way too early. That there was no other plot path for this to be going down other than they had given me this information and this piece and that piece and this piece. And I had too long to think about it. And I went, oh, Johnson is in with the realtor and they're setting him up. And they're also draining him financially in other ways. Five minute reveal earlier would have caught me. But I spent about five minutes going, get to the point where you tell me it's Johnson and Coots with the realtor. Now, on the other side of that, then it takes another turn that I found really glorious in its horrificness, if that makes sense. The visual of the scene of the coffee being thrown on his face and the pain and the horrifyingness of it, it was a lot better ending than, you guys, you took my diner. <laughs> so the twist of the gun being shot at him. Yes. Like I did not see that coming at all. Well, at that point, and rightfully so, and I think we were supposed to, oh, this is satanic, uh, some supernatural being that is coming to pay him back for something he's done in his past life. I think the end is interesting because it has three endings. And I do think you're supposed to anticipate what's happening, that clearly this is some attempt to kill his business and get his diner. But where I think the suspense is, is that you don't know how it's going to play out. You've got the aw shucks cook You've got the ticking time bomb in Bailey, and you've got this ketchup-loving monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then when you get to the end, he fires that gun, and before it's revealed that nothing happened to the ketchup-loving man, I think this is where we've been going. We're just going to make this guy snap, and that's the end of the story. Then it comes back, oh, he's alive. And like Eric, for that moment, I went, is this like a house in Cypress Canyon? Is this a ghost hunt? Is this a rare supernatural suspense? And so by the time I had kind of whipped through those two guesses as to where it was going, I was completely caught off guard 
by the coda. I mean, the only thing that I thought was telegraphed, but I don't think it was bad because it just added to the tension, was the hot coffee. The attention paid to the coffee that they offered Bailey being too hot. I went, oh, that's going to end up in ketchup guy's face. (laughs) But I was like, no, they're not going to do that. No, no, no. So that anticipation added to it. I didn't hate this at all. I'm not even really that bothered by it. As far as I think Tim said something to the effect at the top of this, you know, it's not a great piece of radio. I would, I, I don't know what I didn't you say said. that. Tim said, I hate David. Uh, I, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, it was something to the effect of, well, it doesn't matter. Let's not ask Tim what he said. Let's keep guessing what it was. As <laughs> what I think Tim was saying, <laughs> defending a dis- disfigured man's right to sit in your diner wasn't necessarily a huge suspense premise. Right. Yeah. For me, I'm on the other end where the strangeness of it and all the possibilities from there had me really compelled. Were they going to actually discuss this legitimate dilemma? I mean, if you set aside the fact that it turns out to be a con, the disfigured guy's absolutely right. He has a right to sit there. But Bailey's absolutely right, as in, you are destroying my livelihood. And for a while, I thought, are they just going to play this out? <laughs> right. Especially when the cop comes in. And so I just think it has a lot of red herrings that delighted me instead of frustrated me. And I didn't get frustrated. I, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not frustrated by anything in this. But again, I did figure out what it was with a few minutes to go. I guess that's somewhat disappointing, but I don't think it's terrible. But you know what it is? This is what it is. I wanted it to be the devil. I wanted it to be supernatural. I wanted it to be, you know, a ghost or a space alien. And because that's me. And when it's uh, some jerk just took his diner, I was like, nah. but then he threw coffee in his face. And that was awesome. Can I talk a moment about the details as in the um, that sting for a second? Yeah. <laughs> and I realize it's one of those things. It's going to take some people out and it took me out of it at first. But I also found it fascinating as a form of radio experimentation to try to come up with a sound that represents a specific visual, not a mood, not the way a sting comes to tell you this is suspenseful. It's basically a form of conditioning where you want to hear this sound and immediately picture an image. And since a disfigured face doesn't have any real world sound the way a cash register does. So we immediately, when we hear a cash register, we think cash register. I just thought that was an interesting manipulation of the listener. I I don't think it's a hugely successful technique because you don't see it used often because it can get confusing. Uh, Well, Eric's joke about it was a real sting he carried around with him because it it confuses that diegetic, non-diegetic, like what is in universe sound and what isn't. But I thought it was really fascinating to deconstruct. I would like it better if they, you know, it's like, oh, he's horribly disfigured. And how come every time it comes in, there's that weird music sting? I think that would have been funny. (laughs) (laughs) I like this episode. I do. I'm trying to figure out why I did. I'm not punching the air, I guess. And I'm kind of turning to you guys to be like, I should love this more than I did. I feel like there was just in there, just one step. It felt like I skipped a stair or something because it had such a nice setup with these bits of vandalism and things going on at home, distracting him. And the sort of ambient frustration, well, not even ambient, just real frustration of my business is being ruined by this guy who's coming in and he's kind of demanding, but totally not being destructive or you know, he's within his customer sorts of behavioral bounds. And then it was seemed like it was that one more time. And then it, it went past that. It seemed like there was a missing build in there just 
one beat that felt yeah. a little too static. Like it, it just reestablished all that one more time without really raising it. I think uh, Tim's pointing to a real thing. It just had a completely different effect on me. I agree with Tim about there seeming to be a missing escalation, but that added to my enjoyment because by skipping the structure I expected, it left me in a state of anxiety. Like, what exactly is going on? And because the actors are so good, those three are really, really good. They just suck you in and you sense that something terrible is going to happen. You even have a good idea what it's about. It's about this diner and about chasing customers off, but you just don't know who's in on it, who isn't, and who's going to be the first to snap. The fact that it didn't take that exactly when you expect it to escalation just made me nervous. I sat there for too long for me to be comfortable. And I can see how someone would see I was uncomfortable because I thought it was poor writing (laughs) to leave me there. But it worked as suspense, whether intended or not for me. Here's a weird thing. I want you two to imagine you're at work and your wife calls and tells you that all the windows in the house have been smashed. And then you say, yeah, well, I wouldn't call the police because what's the point? I don't know what to tell you. I got to stay at work. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine that whole thing like, ah, well, that's weird. Well, I'll be home when I can. Well, it depends on the neighborhood you live in. It depends on who you're married to. It depends on what your job is. Because I found all of that really relatable. It was one of the things that ratcheted up the suspense for me. Because I, I feel like I've had that happen to me, not with necessarily broken windows, but where everything's on fire at work, either literally or figuratively. And on top of it, you start getting calls from home. Right. And things are on fire there too. And you're forced to choose between them or play triage. Um, And I feel like Joseph Kern's performance tells you that it's not an emergency. Since I can't hear his wife, it's a one-sided phone call. It makes me believe him as a eh, hoodlums. I mean, you have that element of suspicion, but I believe he doesn't think it's a big deal. Every window in their house has been (laughs) smashed in. Not an appropriate reaction. I don't care where you live. I don't care what you do for a living. Okay, sweetie, get out of the house. (laughs) Come join me at work. Come join me at work. I'm getting it, Josh. I'm with you. Someone smashed our window. Yep. Someone smashed all the windows in the house. That's a whole... I guess I've lived in some really bad neighborhoods uh, where multiple (laughs) windows have been smashed and neighbor kids throwing dangerous things in for your dogs to eat and calling the cops and them just saying, ah, we can't do anything until you finally give up. I mean, I think it depends on your point of view. I get it how that could take you out. But I mean, I do think there are scenarios in which you would write it off as hoodlums. All in one night? (laughs) Well, that begs a really significant question here. Was that the ketchup-loving man doing all that? But he says very specifically at the end to Johnson, this was all on the up and up. I did not commit a crime. So I was wondering if it's because he's clearly a dishonest human. So his refusal to take responsibility was really a confession. Or does this revolve around the fact that if you put pressure in one critical part of someone's life, every misfortune that just happens to happen becomes somehow connected to this? Because there's this huge emphasis that Johnson keeps putting into Bailey's head about this is bad luck. He's bad luck. You're sure having a lot of bad luck so that this all comes together to push Bailey over the edge. But it is strange that they never answer that specifically. And in fact, 
suggest the opposite just by implication. I think it was the wife. I think she was in on it with him. <laughs> Need a lot of attention. There was no other characters introduced, so I guess that's what I'm left with. I'll tell you what I could relate to. Working in a grocery store uh, during a pandemic in which there's been some uh, issues with the supply chain, the guy bugging them about ketchup. Yeah. I thought they handled it much better than I have at the grocery store when people <laughs> are complaining about, well, I can't get yeast. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Do you think it has something to do with the pandemic? <laughs> I will confess a little bit of my bias also comes from the personal connection I've had in my life with ketchup. <laughs> uh -oh. One, I don't really like ketchup. No, I, I don't either. It's it's just sugar and tomato paste. Okay. And part of that is my dad. Let's, I'll get really personally with you here. Part yeah. of my dad loves ketchup on everything. Everything. Ketchup <laughs> on cake. And so uh, there's been two productions I've been involved in. Uh, one was Macbeth's Awesome Scottish Castle Party, which I will not explain what that was. But during that production, 29 shows in two weeks. And every time we did that show, I had ketchup put on my head and another actor would eat French fries, dipping it in the ketchup on my head. <laughs> the other ketchup related story is from, uh, if you guys know Mary Jo Peel from, uh, Mr. Oh Smith, yeah. yeah. Lovely, funny, incredible human being, uh, wrote a play called man saved by condiments. I did yes. a couple productions of that. It's about the guy who was in a car accident and trapped in his car for weeks, quite a long time and survived by eating the packets of condiments in his car right in the production i ate a bunch of condiments from little packets and a lot of that was ketchup so ketchup is kind of a, a sore spot for me <laughs> when i was a kid my old man used to walk in to the living room at eleven forty-five on sundays with i'm not kidding a wimpy hamburger sized platter not of hamburgers, of ketchup sandwiches, white bread with ketchup. And he would sit and watch football with me, and we would eat ketchup sandwiches all day. The reason he loved ketchup sandwiches is he was a child during the Depression. And uh, that was like one of the few things they had to eat for a, a huge portion of their life. So that's a lot of ketchup stories. Yeah. Yeah, that might be the underlying issue here. <laughs> well, I actually think ketchup was probably chosen because it is so everyday because he gradually takes a line as mundane as nothing like ketchup, I always say. And it starts out as this annoyance and then it kind of has an ominous threat to it. And by the end, it's an expression of utter madness when Bailey is saying it <laughs> right. over and over again. So that the transformation of that innocuous statement uh, over the course of the play was entertaining to me. Yeah. I don't mind ketchup. <laughs> I mean, if I but what's interesting to me is that I thought he was just needling these guys, and ketchup t turns out to be his Achilles heel. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Really, really likes ketchup, and he shot himself in the foot with ketchup. <laughs> he couldn't hurt himself bite in the face yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Like, if there's ketchup on something, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but if someone says we're out of ketchup, I'd be like, I, yeah, okay. Well, are there any other thoughts, gentlemen? I don't know that I would say that Joshua has changed my mind on it, but I was intrigued by the, the rationale of the things that sort of bothered me were features, not bugs. I would agree with you 100%, Tim, that uh, the things that were sticking with me that I wasn't embracing, 
I think Joshua had a really strong effect in this discussion with me going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a interesting script writing take on things. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to risk ruining what you guys just said <laughs> by saying one more thing. I should really end right there on, <laughs> you're right, Josh. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that made me re- realize this is very intentional, like it or not, is that the first 40 seconds of this play is a masterclass in using sound and economical exposition to set place and character. It's just the sound of a cash register. Thank you. Come again. Door jingling, phone rings, footsteps leading to the phone to actually create a sense of space in the diner, picking it up. Say, hello, this is you know Bailey's diner. This is Bailey. So you know who it is. And it's a talk about his recently hired cook. It's not just establishing they work in a diner. It's structure for yeah, the plot. For everything. And that, I timed it, is in 40 seconds. And you know almost everything right. you need to know. So when he drags it out and takes his time, you know that's his plan, like it or not. He wants to build this time so that Bailey's transformation from an affable guy to someone who's willing to pull that gun and shoot a disfigured man dead, <laughs> that you can believe that happened within two days' time. Mm-hmm. And it's also Joseph Kearns, I think, is just brilliant in his performance. He's one of those character actors that just always sucks me in. He can play that just affable every man who suddenly can become a little dangerous and crazy. Yeah. It's too bad what happens to these great radio actors when they got cast in early sitcoms in the 60s. <laughs> uh, because a whole world of people know them mainly from that and they weren't playing great characters uh in those sitcoms at his age i bet he was so happy to just come in and just get angry at dennis the menace and collect a paycheck (laughs) i'm not taking it away from the guy i'll do any i'll do anything for a buck but you know (laughs) yeah i just had a conversation with our good friend sam the other night that only knows william conrad as canon he's like wow and i hate that show. And I'm like, you should, it's a terrible show. And it did it, 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 but you don't know anything about William Conrad. There are people that don't know Agnes Moorhead from anything other than in Bewitched. I'm just always fascinated by how television kind of destroyed the everlasting concept of their talent. And changes in music do that too. I mean, it's like, if you just remembered Mel Torme for his covers of secret agent man and red rubber ball, instead of (laughs) the great music that made him a jazz legend. Yeah. And I don't even know those songs. I only know the good Mel Torme, like red rubber ball. I don't think I've ever even listened to it. (laughs) Well, all those guys tried that for a while, trying to record the pop hits of the sixties when they got old. It's their, their Dennis, the menace. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right, let's send it to a vote. Yeah. Let's start with Joshua and get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really idiosyncratic script and it is filled with twists. And for me, suspense, it's flawlessly cast, which really elevates it for me. It also includes a little experimental production techniques in the disfigured sting. So that's always a little extra bonus for me. It's a classic just because it's so unexpected and does things so differently from how suspense usually does them, yet for me, maintained suspense. Uh, I would say it definitely stands the test of time. In fact, it sounds, I think, quite modern in the uh, acting style and the story. It's all very, very grounded and uh, real. I would not call it a classic because uh, I felt like some of the pacing asked more than I wanted to give. And I'm greedy, greedy with my precious time yeah you're like it's like ketchup with you you just (laughs) dingy it definitely stands the test of time 
I will agree with Tim. It has a contemporary feel to it. It really does. does. I find it daring and experimental in its approach. And I give the, a lot of kudos for that. And I enjoyed myself for the most part. And it stands the test of time. I won't say classic. And it's definitely not my favorite episode ever of suspense. Here it is. It's good. It's the sorry wrong number of ketchup-related suspense episodes. <laughs> I will give you that. Unquestionably. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. It's also a great way, if you have an episode you'd like us to listen to, ketchup or no, you can send us messages, leave comments on episodes, find links to our social media pages. Uh, just let us know what you think. And if you have any requests, this is a good time to send them to us. Yeah, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. We have some new perks uh, related to our shows ongoing at Park Square. So you get a special access to those um, and a monthly Cliffhangers of Doom serial podcast and uh, lots of other bits and pieces. Check that out if you're able to. And also go to iTunes and write a review. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> Speaking of Par Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, we were uh, under contract to do live shows with them for a long time until here in May of 2020. We are sitting in the pandemic times. And so we have altered the way we do things. And now anybody can come and purchase a ticket. Uh, what we're doing is you join us via Zoom. We do introductions, but we are recording them remotely and putting these shows together in studio. The difference is, is that we're either doing lost episodes or we're doing original works, or as we're doing in June, we're doing literary adaptations. And this month, if you were to go to parksquaretheater.org and purchase a ticket, you would hear our adaptation of The Great God Pan by Arthur Machen. And The Adventure of the Egyptian Tomb by Agatha Christie. So Tim and Joshua will be writing those. We'll be recording and producing those. And you can get your ticket at parksquaretheater.org. And it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot more that goes on with it. We're going to have dress-up times. And we're going, to have <laughs> we're going to have cocktails we send out, recipes, and all sorts of stuff. So please join us for that. All right. What's coming up next? Uh, next, we are continuing with our listener requests. And we will be listening to an episode from a series we have yet to feature on the podcast, Cloak and Dagger, a story called Delay en Route. Until then... Look out! Ketchup. Okay. Here you are. What? This little paper cup, where's the bottle? Uh, I'm sorry, but ketchup's hard to get. That's all we can serve anybody. Ah!